top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and thank you for joining us for episode four of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. We have a great episode of the show for you today. Our very own Jim Ward will be discussing an audio clip from the television voice of the Boston Red Sox, Dave O'Brien. Later, Kevin McAlpin of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network will be going back to the 19th century for some Irish baseball history. First, we'll start the show with part of my conversation with Washington Nationals scout and former head baseball coach for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, Brian Cleary. Thank you for joining us today, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's first talk about your previous job as the head baseball coach at Cincinnati. Yeah, I was there for quite a while. I was the head baseball coach at the University of Cincinnati for 17 years, and uh, that's what brought me to Cincinnati and, um, you know, enjoyed every minute of it. It was a lot of fun, got to know a lot of people, coach a lot of good players, and, uh, you know, that's as a result of that, Cincinnati really has become home for me. Because we were talking actually off the air about how you're originally from the Florida area. Did you go directly from Florida to Cincinnati. I, I grew up in Florida. My um, my parents, my father's from Brooklyn, New York. My mother's from Springfield, Mass. I was born in New York and he worked for IBM, as did my mom. And uh, he was transferred to Florida when I was a kid. So I grew up down there, went to high school down there, but I went to college at Fairfield University in Fairfield, Connecticut. And then when I got out of school, I started coaching. And I uh, my first job was at the University of Louisville. Um, then from there, I went to the University of Notre Dame. I was at Dartmouth College for a short time and at Tulane University uh, as an assistant coach at all those places. And uh, from Tulane, I came to the University of Cincinnati as the head coach in 1996. So going from coaching into scouting where you are now, what is the major adjustment and what are some of the similarities in your approach? Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a, that's a good question. Um, certainly there are some, uh, things that overlap. I had, uh, never really, you know, I, I had never really considered scouting and, um, my time at, at the university of Cincinnati ended, uh, not really by my choice. I, I wasn't ready to quit coaching. Um, and so I had some time on my hands and I was trying to figure out what was next for me. And I had a couple of people tell me I ought to try this if I got an opportunity because uh, I, you know, they thought I'd enjoy it, and I have enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. Uh, the Nationals are a great team to work for, but I was fortunate that this job opened at kind of a unique time of the year, 2015, and um, which is when I started. So I got a chance to go to work for the Nationals and uh, have been learning ever since. It's really been an educational thing for me because you're around so many. First of all, you get to see a lot of um, coaches, high school and college coaches, how they operate, uh, what they do. You look and you go, man, that I wish I would have thought of that when I was coaching or, or I had that right when I was coaching. I, you know, the same thing I was doing. Uh, but then you're also around a lot of really talented uh, evaluators. And certainly a big part of being a college coach is evaluating and, and then recruiting players. Uh, but to be around some of the scouts that I'm around on a routine basis really um, was eye opening for me to watch the same game that they're watching and then to be able to, you know, hear them. Uh, you know, offer an opinion on a player. Some of these guys have been doing this for so long and they see stuff that, you know, I, I never had thought to look at uh, before. So uh, it's been really, it's been really educational. 
um, you know, you don't have as much day-to-day -day contact with players. Uh, you're not on the field. You're not in the middle of the competition. And so I miss, I miss a lot of that. But there are a lot of things that, that uh, a lot of skills that translate to both jobs. And scouts come from so many different areas. Sometimes they're players right out of a career. Sometimes, like in your case, it's a former college coach coming to that situation. Do you think that you offer a different evaluation to the job because you've had to be the X's and O's person so you can sort of see how these people would fit in if you were making those types of X's and O's decisions? Yeah, I think that's a really good insight too. Um, I, I do think that having had to coach players, uh, you can draw upon some experience that you've had coaching guys and look and say, uh, you know, this skill might translate or this thing's tough to correct. Uh, this is something that's easily fixable when he gets with an instructor, you know, in the minor leagues that can help him, you know, change his swing or delivery or whatever the case might be. Uh, but you do have some insight, I think, into um, players having coached that you, you might not have had otherwise. And you're, you're evaluating a, a player's physical ability, uh, but you're also trying to evaluate what type of aptitude they might have, how coachable they might be, you know, what adjustments can they make? So I, I do think that you get some insight into that as you, as you, as you reflect back on players, you coach, you go, this guy kind of reminds me of so-and-so when I coached him uh, or this, you know, so-and-so wasn't a very good player. He couldn't do this very well when he was young and, you know, certainly he made it to the big league. So, uh, you know, there, there is some, there is some times where I do reflect back on, on players that I've previously coached. Are there times where you are scouting a player who maybe you do like at the pro level, but you might have shied away from at the college level and vice versa? Is it a different skill set? Are there some players that you just don't think their game would translate as well to the college game? Well, I think um, to, to answer that, you know, one of the pressures that a college coach faces is – uh, the need to win as many games as possible uh, all the time. So as soon as possible. So there are players that um, you might look at and go, this guy's got, you know, some tools or some ability, but he hasn't harnessed it yet. Um, and so he's, he's going to take a little longer to develop than what a college coach might have time for in some cases. The other thing that the college coach is, is fighting, we're all fighting, but the college coach specifically is fighting, is time. There's just never enough time. You know, you can never spend enough time on the field and with the players. They've got, you know, there are rules that govern how much you can spend. They've got classes and academic commitments and other things that they've got to do. Um, whereas I think in pro baseball, you've got, a, you've got more time on your side uh, and you've got a longer period um, where a player can, you know, a player can fail in the minor leagues. And if you don't win that night, it's not the end of the world, as long as the players are developing and learning and, and uh, making progress toward helping the big league team win. Um, whereas the college coach is looking for, you know, help right now. And so I do think there are some players where you might take a longer view. Um, this guy's going to be a, a better player after, you know, X number of at bats or games under his belt. And, you know, there are more opportunities for that in oftentimes in minor league baseball than there are, you know, maybe at a college program where, you know, playing time is limited and that type of thing. 
when you've made the decision when you're recruiting a player as a college coach, when you've offered the scholarship or you've offered the spot on the, on the team and they accept, that's just the beginning of your job as the head coach. When you're a scout, that's almost the end of your job as a scout. So how much do you go back and look at the players that you did scout in the past to try to follow how they're developing? And do you use that as a tool to evaluate yourself and the process that you use, how these players that you have scouted have moved through the system? I, I do. I, I <clears throat> Well, th th there's a couple answers to that, but you know, I've only been scouting for a short time. So, you know, I've, I've, there are relatively few players that, uh, you know, we've drafted from my area and, you know, anytime you draft a player, there's a lot of guys above me that make those decisions and that weigh in on it. I'm just a small, you know, kind of initial evaluator of the player. Uh, we've got cross checkers and scouting director and whatnot who ultimately make that decision. And in our case, our guys have been doing that for a long time. We've got some really good evaluators, but I do, I've kept track of everybody since I've started scouting. I've got, I've kept track of every single player from my area that has been drafted um, and players that I thought maybe should have been drafted that weren't. And I try and look and you know, it takes a little time to figure out, um, you know, were you right or you're wrong? You know, did, did, the guy may, it might take a guy a while to get to the big leagues, but I've tried to follow that and say, and I had that one right. Uh, I had that one wrong. Um, yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen with that guy. But you're right in saying that really, you know, the, the draft is kind of the end of the, the job for the scout. Ultimately, he goes and the player goes and starts working with player development and, and they take it from there. The college coach, on the other hand, as you say, uh, you know, that's just the beginning of the process. And, you know, I, I used to um, think to myself all the time when we were recruiting is, you know, it's not about just getting the guy to say yes. It's about, is this guy, is this somebody that we're going to want to coach for four years and be around? And is he going to be able to flourish? Are we going to enjoy having him? Because you've got to live with um, the players that you recruit. And so you've got to be able to coexist with them and have them fit into what you try and do. I'm Rick Becker, and that was National Scout and former University of Cincinnati head baseball coach Brian Cleary on the Irish Baseball Podcast. We'll be hearing more from Brian in future episodes. Right now, here's our very own Jim Ward, who will be going a little more in-depth with a great piece of audio. Take it away, Jim. Thanks, Rick. As a proud New Englander, I am no stranger to the voice of the Boston Red Sox and Dave O'Brien. In this clip, we hear from Obi, and he talks about his Irish Catholic background growing up in Quincy, Massachusetts, and the beginnings of his love of the game of baseball, going to games at Fenway Park. Irish Catholic kid from Quincy, Mass. I was born in the same hospital that Ted Kennedy was born in, lived in Quincy and Wollaston Beach, and then on to Marshfield, grew up on the South Shore, and grew up with a dad who was a giant Red Sox fan, but a tragic Red Sox fan because they never won anything. The Red Sox were always losing. I mean, I, I look at my kids today and, and young kids who've done nothing but go to parades and, and soak up in, in all these championships in 04 and in 07 and 13 and 18, and they and forget about the Patriots. And it's just like every other year they're, they're celebrating with a championship parade. Well, my father never saw anybody win anything, really. He wasn't a basketball guy. He wasn't a Celtics fan. I became a huge one. But I was like the first kid in my family who played basketball. He was all baseball. He was all the Red Sox. He followed Ted Williams his entire career. 
and he would curse the Red Sox like nobody's business whenever they would collapse every August. But uh, he was the guy that took me to Fenway Park and, and took my three brothers, you know, two in each hand, took us to the ball game, and that's where we developed our love for baseball through my father's eyes. So at a really young age, I realized this, this is about the coolest place in the world to be, Fenway Park. And I remember looking up at the lights, you know, sitting, sitting in the stands one night in June, and I was probably 10 years old, but looking at the lights where the broadcasters work and thinking to myself, that, that looks pretty cool. I wonder what's going on there. And I asked my dad, he said, those are the announcers. They're getting ready to do the game. They get paid to be there. They get free food. They get to travel wherever the Red Sox travel. I thought, well, that sounds like that, that job was tailor-made to me because, you know, I love to talk and I love sports. I love the Sox. And it's pretty amazing. I wound up calling Red Sox games many, many years later. That was Boston Red Sox television play-by-play voice Dave O'Brien here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm Jim Ward. And it's funny listening to Dave talk about growing up in Quincy and down in Wollaston Beach and his love for the game, growing up with his dad uh, who just lived and died with the Red Sox. And my kind of, my background is pretty much the same thing growing up in the Lynn Saugus line up in the North shore, then eventually in the Merrimack Valley, dad driving buses for the MBTA and, you know, and being able to that first visit of Fenway park, uh, a lot of what Dave was describing, I was doing the same thing, you know, listening to the great play by play voices in Red Sox history, you know, the Ned Martins and uh, the Ken Coleman's and, and all these guys that have come through the box. And now, one of my favorites, Dave O'Brien, uh, and a, a great and a great Syracuse trio there in the Red Sox play-by-play box. Uh, of course, Joe Castiglione coming up on his 38th, 39th year with the Red Sox, proud graduate of Syracuse, and of course Sean McDonough coming back to the Red Sox uh, in the in the radio booth after doing television many years ago. And now Dave, of course, carrying it on the tradition of great Red Sox announcers, uh, starting out with Joe Castiglione, who's destined for the Hall of Fame, and and, and now working with Jerry Remy on the television side. Uh, we're very blessed here in Boston to have announcers like Dave O'Brien uh, doing his hometown team, and it's nice to have a guy who grew up as a youngster idolizing Red Sox baseball and announcers to ultimately be broadcasting for his hometown team. And I guess that's the dream of all of us as announcers is to be able to do games for our hometown team. Well, our members can get more of that interview with Dave O'Brien at irishbaseball.org. I'm Jim Ward sending it back to Rick Becker on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thank you, Jim. You know, I also grew up a Red Sox fan, but I had none of the geographic connections that Dave O'Brien and Jim Ward were talking about there. My father just happened to be a Yankees fan, and I was a rebellious child. I'm Rick Becker, and it's time to take a step back into some Irish baseball history with Kevin McAlpin from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Hi, I'm Kevin McAlpin from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network, and today I'd like to tell you about an Irish baseball legend named Tommy Bond. 
Thomas Henry Bond was born in Granard, Ireland in 1856. His family came to America when Tommy was just six years old. On Tuesday, May 5th, 1874, Tommy Bond became the first Irish-born major leaguer when he took the mound for the Brooklyn Atlantics. From 1876 to 1879, Bond averaged 38 wins per season, winning the pitching triple crown in 1877 for the Boston Red Stockings. That year, Bond recorded 40 wins with 170 strikeouts, posting an earned run average of 211. But overuse destroyed Bond's arm and probably cost him a ticket to the Hall of Fame. He threw over 400 innings in six of his first seven seasons, including three consecutive years of 500 innings of work. Tommy Bond would retire in 1882 with 234 wins, 386 complete games, 42 shutouts, and a lifetime ERA of 231. Bond currently ranks second all-time in career strikeout-to-walks ratio behind veteran left-hander Chris Sale. For more information on Tommy Bond and other Irish baseball legends, visit irishbaseball.org. That was Kevin McAlpin of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network for Jim Ward, who brought us an interview clip with the television voice of the Boston Red Sox, Dave O'Brien. And for our guest, Brian Cleary, scout for the Washington Nationals, I'm Rick Becker. This has been another episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.